It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February 12th, 2015. Thank you for joining us. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you, finally. Finally, we're late. Uh, there's no need to talk about patience tonight because everybody got a good dose of it. Uh, yeah, we were test we, of it. It was actually a practical experience. Uh, Exercise in patience. Yeah, and everybody was. I think we, lots of folks have stayed with us, so we're sorry for the delay. We had some computer issues. That, well, they just don't go fast when you need them to. Oh, man. Computers, aren't they wonderful? All right. Well, we're looking forward to the discussion tonight. You've got some four interesting questions submitted by our listeners. Yeah, we, we do this from time to time, Jacob. In fact, it seems like we're doing it more often lately because we're getting more questions submitted, which is a great thing. I mean, that's what we want, and that's what we're asking people to do. Send and people us. listen to que- uh, programs like this say, oh, I ought to send in my question. Yeah. And so, you should. And I really think it's interesting, and we usually get a, a good response from our listeners when we do this, and so I, th- I think it's interesting to our listeners, too. So we got four questions tonight. We're not going to – some of them are rather long, and they're somewhat different than – Questions we've had in the past. They are. Uh, a couple of them. I I'm just going to give a little tease, Jacob. I know for a fact that we have never talked about bebop basing on yes. the virtual Bible study, but we're going to tonight. Uh, and, so and, if you, and, if if you, you didn't, know what that is, we want to yeah, hear from you. If you didn't get our update earlier today, uh, then you don't know what we're talking about. And even if you did get our update earlier today, you may still not know what we're talking about when we're talking about bebop basing, but we're going to let you in on that. Are so, you going to give us a demo of that tonight? <clears throat> I don't think so. Okay. But anyway, we've got questions. We're just going to go at them one at a time. Again, apologies for being late uh, getting started. We had computer issues, but I think everything is working accurately now. Um, so we'll get started. If, if you're not on our update list, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say add me to the list. We'll do that earlier today. We sent out these questions. There are four of them. We'll try to cover them as thoroughly as we can in, in the amount of time that we have available tonight. Okay. Uh, the first couple have come from our our, our relatively new friend and listener in Oregon, Brendan. Uh, the first of them says, are any of the Lord's church associated with the Stone Campbell mo- movement? Or are we simply planting the seed of the word as done in the first century? Did Stone and Campbell establish churches? What is the significance of the movement to God's people today? Is there a significance? Should we even care about the movement? All right. Thank you, Brendan, for that question. Brendan's in the chat room tonight, as are several of our listeners. If you're not signed in, you can sign in very easily to the bottom of the chat window there and chat with other listeners. What about Brendan's question about the Stone Campbell movement? Well, Jay, we have in the past on the Virtual Bible Study talked about the claim that Alexander Campbell started the Churches of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so you can go back in our archives and find some programs in which we've dealt with that. In fact, there's a very interesting program there, if, if, if our listeners have not heard it. We interviewed a man in England yes. who has written a book. you remember the name of that, that uh, episode? Traces of the Kingdom. Tra- it, was the, it was the book. And, uh, well, 
We'll find it here. Uh, but anyway, this fella has has been able to document evidence of churches of Christ existing in England and Europe hundreds of years before Alexander Campbell was even born. Yes. Uh, and so uh, we do not trace our lineage to Alexander Campbell. Uh, a lot of people want to suggest that that is the case. We absolutely deny it. We are trying to do, as as Brendan even suggested in his question, we are simply trying to plant the seed of the word as was done in the first century. We believe if we do what they did in the first century, we'll be a church like the church that existed in the first century. Uh, and, and so that is that is our aim. We're trying to just imitate and put into practice simple New Testament Christianity. I found it. Uh, the, the gentleman's name was Keith Sisman. And it was from March 27, 2014. When did the Church of Christ begin? So he's found tra- he's almost found, exactly a year ago. Well, about 11 months ago, we had that program. He's found evidence that uh, the idea of restoring New Testament Christianity precedes uh, Alexander Campbell very far centuries, uh, centuries before he yeah. before he came to. I mean, in fact, if if you will listen to that program, you'll find out that Mr. Sisman believes that it's not it's not that. Such efforts didn't exist even before that. But it, it, he says as far back as he can go, as far back as history allows it to be traced, he finds evidence that there were people who were simply trying to be New Testament Christians. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, you might check that out. Now, so is are any of the churches, Lord's churches, are any of the Lord's church associated with the Stone-Campbell movement is Brendan's question. I'd have to say, well... Not this church. I don't no, know. What the, I mean, what is that movement? Now, I want to. I want to make an, another statement. That I think is fair. We give credit to men like Barton W. Stone and Alexander Campbell and Thomas Campbell, his father, because they had a mindset that was a worthy one. That is, go back and do things like they did it uh, in the first century. Right. Uh, that's that's got to be right and can't be wrong. And so they they were trying. Now they weren't flawless in their effort and uh, they made some mistakes along the way but the concept is the right one yeah. you know a, a, abandon denominational creeds yeah. go back before all the innovations and changes that men brought in go back to the time of the apostles what they were teaching what inspired men were instructing how the church was organized and how it did its worship and work in the first century if we go back to that that's got to be right and can't be wrong. That mindset that Barton W. Stone, Alexander and Thomas Campbell, and others of that era, the so-called restoration movement right. in America, there was also a restoration uh, movement in, in uh, Europe. But the concept is a worthy one. Right. And we're just trying to do that, too. But we do not profess any allegiance to those men. Stone and Campbell weren't saying, follow me. They were just saying, follow the Bible, do what the Bible says. Jeff is behind the controls tonight. Let's say that Jeff... Uh, wants to start a movement, so we need to get back to doing what the Constitution of the United States says. We ne- we want all of our laws to make sure they're founded on the Constitution. If everyone started doing that, would we become Jeff Vernonites or would we become Americans? We become constitutional Americans. We become Americans, yeah. same as what we have here. Yeah, I think, that's a fair, I think that's a fair example. Okay. All right, uh, we got a couple of emails in on this, and I don't know, Jacob. I don't know where our time. Breaks are gone. Are we going to say we started 15 after? We started well, we close did. to 15 yeah, after. We yeah, so okay. we've got plenty of time. Okay. So uh, from email, Monty uh, emailed in and said, we are just sowing the seed of the word. If we're part of a movement, it is the gospel movement. 
if Stone and Campbell were doing this, then they were part of that movement too. If they were doing something else, then they were a part of something else. And I think that's, I mean, it just simply stated that. I think that is exactly right. You know, the, the idea of sowing a seed, you know, if, if you had a kernel of corn, Jacob, and you planted it, you would expect it to produce corn. Every time you planted that yeah. A, yeah. A, a seed of that sort, you'd expect it to produce the same thing. Right. So the seed is the word of God. And so we're just planting that seed, and it should be producing the same thing it produced in the first century, and that is Christians, simply Christians. All right. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. That's That was God's plea to the Israelites, is get back to doing what you're supposed to be doing. And we believe it's his plea for those in the religious world today, get back to what I said to do in the New Testament and uh, don't be following these innovations and creeds of men, and so we're just trying to do that. You know, the Apostle Peter even used the idea of seed when in First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, says, Being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the, the word is like a seed, and you plant it, you should get the same thing. Now, if you plant a corrupted seed, you know, you might get something different. But if you plant that same pure seed, you should get the same thing growing from it all right um aaron in uh, baton rouge louisiana louisiana says i'm not sure there is any such organization as a stone campbell movement for a church to associate with if there were one we shouldn't be affiliated with it except to the extent that we might coincidentally teach some of the same things stone and campbell did not plant congregations local churches as one might do today but they did uh not or, or they did plant congregations he says, but they did not found a denomination or a larger organization that churches should join. The significance of the preaching of Stone and Campbell is that they encouraged people to leave the error commonly found in denominational creeds and to go back simply to the Bible. That is not a new message, but it is. It, but it was not common in America in the mid-1800s. But our intent is not to restore the practices of Stone and Campbell. It is to restore the practice of the first century uh, Christianity under the direction of inspired apostles. We should imitate Stone and Campbell only to the extent that they imitated Christ, and we should not form parties based upon them. First Corinthians three verse four says, "For one set, for when one says I am of Paul and another I am of Apollos, are you not carnal?" By the way, if you have never read the last will and testament of the Springfield Presbytery, you should. Even if it isn't exactly the wording I would have used, the document is valuable in understanding what Barton Stone was trying to do, and it's short and frequently witty. Thank you for that, Aaron. You know, uh, we have shown before, and I don't have that picture available tonight, but we have shown before a tombstone at the Cane Ridge Meeting House near Paris, Kentucky. Uh, There was a famous restoration rally held at the Cane Ridge uh, Meeting House mm-hmm. there in, in rural Kentucky, just not too far south of Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, and uh, But what's interesting is there's a tombstone there, and you can still read the inscription, and the man thus buried was a member of the Church of Christ, but it predates when Alexander Campbell came, even came to the United States uh, from England. Well, and that's easy to understand because the Church of Christ is not some type of denomination that had to have some type of earthly founding. It yeah. was a, you know, it was it was established on the day of Pentecost, and uh, and so he, people throughout time have been a member of it. All right. Well, I hope that answers that first question. I, it, 
it, that's a question that comes up pretty often, and I and and we're glad to try to answer it. Again, just in a nutshell, we profess no allegiance to Alexander Campbell or Barton W. Stone. We admire the mindset they possessed of trying to get back to the Bible. Yep, that's a good thing. I, if and it, and they're not the only ones who ever did that. Uh, as as uh, Keith Sisman that we interviewed, uh, book Traces of the Kingdom. By the way, that's that's a worthy read if you, people want to look it up on the internet. Traces of the Kingdom. We interviewed him about a year ago here on the Virtual Bible Study. He says as far back as he was able, to, and he 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 accessed a lot of history. Uh, in England uh, and in other parts of Europe. And as far back as he is able to trace the path, there were people doing what Stone and Campbell did, that is just trying to to establish simple New Testament Christianity. That was So it wasn't a new concept with them. They did have success in getting a lot of people to adapt that mentality, uh, and that was a good thing. All right, so check it out there at Traces of the Kingdom. Uh, thank you for the question, Brendan. And when we get back from the program, uh, from the break, we've got another question from Brendan. Brendan, it's a another Brendan question. Brendan doubleheader tonight. A doubleheader from Brendan in Oregon. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about the rapture when we come the back. Rapture when we come back. Uh, don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. (laughs) And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock. It's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8 WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 1.28. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. Here's some quotes worth pondering. There are some whose faith is not strong enough to bring them to all the services, but they expect it to take them to heaven. True faith and courage are like a kite and opposing wind raises them higher. Those who bring sunshine to the lives of others cannot keep it from themselves. It's the little things in life that determine the big things. You cannot win if you do not begin. The first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. The first to forget is the happiest. The most toxic person to be around is the one who complains about everything and appreciates nothing. Avoid these people at all cost. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight as we take various listener questions. I heard I heard one that I saw in Jimmy Michaels' bulletin. Did you see it? You can't stand up for Christ if you lay out from church. Oh, that's pretty good. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, the next question uh, was another submitted by Brendan to uh, ask us to to make some comments about the rapture because he said there's a uh, a special that is airing on the History Channel. And I don't I don't get, I don't have that. I don't have uh, TV, so I don't know if that's been on yet or not. 
but apparently there, he was concerned that people would see this and maybe be upset by it or maybe led to false conclusions because of it. Oh, yeah, if it's so, on the History Channel, though, I might think that the rapture's already happened. Yeah, well, no, that's kind of weird, that. isn't it? That it, it is that, so ironic. Anybody who, even people who believe in the rapture, we don't believe in the rapture, but even people who do believe in the rapture would think it's future, not past. It's yeah. not history. Yeah. It's, it it's be on the Future Channel. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be on the Future Channel okay. instead of the History Channel. Okay. That's good. Good observation, okay. I think, Jacob. Right. Um, what is it, Jeff? Are you able to bring up that chart? I'm getting, I'm getting that. Okay, right. we've got a chart that we've used before. It has been a technical foot race tonight. Oh, yeah, Jeff is working with both hands and uh, all, both of his feet on yeah, the keyboard. Yeah, he's got to get, it up, but it's not scaled right there, Jeff. He'll get it. Give him a little time there. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, anyway, if, uh, in, in order to understand the rapture. Oh, there it is. Has he got, you got it? You got it. Okay, okay. In order to understand the rapture, you need to kind of picture it something like what you're seeing on your screen right now. Uh most premillennialists believe that in the very near future, something's going to happen. The Lord is uh, now. First of all, understand they say that when Jesus came the first time, he inst- he intended to establish a worldly kingdom, uh, but was rejected by the Jews and ended up being crucified and set, instead of being uh, anointed as their king. Okay. And so um, the church was established to sort of. Fill the gap in time until Jesus can come back and successfully establish his earthly kingdom. Okay. Now, what, what premillennialists believe is that that time is drawing very near. And yeah. sometime real soon, the, uh, the Lord is going to rapture away the saints. The, yeah. the, the righteous people on earth will suddenly just disappear. Uh, just sort of vaporize and be gone. The Lord is going to catch them away. Yeah. Uh, used to be a popular um, bumper sticker on cars. I haven't seen it in several years, but it used to, they, there used to be one that said, in case of the rapture, this car will be unmanned. Yeah. And the idea was that the driver of that car would just be raptured away, caught away, and the car would just go careening out of control because it has no driver. Um uh, and that's the idea. People would just suddenly and mysteriously disappear. I remember there's a televangelist about 20 years ago. That he was he believed in the rapture. He was going to write two a word on each of his shoes, he, on the bottom of his shoes. Ha, ha ha! And I told you so. He was going to put that on the bottom of because his he shoes. thought his shoes would be that. Well, no, no. He was going to be going up, and so you oh, look up and oh, you could see oh. ha ha! I told you so. As he, I, I never knew that one. Yeah, okay, yeah. but but anyway. Uh, then for seven years, there's going to be great tribulation on earth. As you might imagine, all the good people have been caught away. Right. And they're just the, the, the wicked are left behind. There's going to be terrible, great, great tribulation on earth for seven years. In fact, Jacob, in, in more recent times, there have been a series of books and movies made from those books called the Left Behind series, talking about what's going to happen in that time frame. Mm-hmm. At the end of seven years, the Lord's going to come. He's going to come come to the earth he's going to come with those raptured saints he's going to come with his holy angels and and the the forces of evil will be combined to fight against him in the great battle of armageddon okay jesus will be victorious and he will set up his earthly kingdom and reign on earth for a thousand years that's the millennium it's premillennial premillennialism because that millennial reign precedes then the final judgment and yeah. and souls being assigned to either heaven or hell. Okay. But the rapture part of that is is the first act in the play so to speak of Jesus getting ready to establish his earthly kingdom. Now, the problem of course is that 
None of that is taught in the scripture. That's just that's just not a. I mean, it's an interesting story to tell, but you can't find scripture that would justify any of that that was just described. That's not what the Bible tells us about the end. Okay. Um, now, um, Monty says in, in email that. The rapture is not found in the Bible. I think he's right. The rapture, as just described, uh, is not found in the Bible. Aaron says, since there is no such event mentioned in the Bible, it shouldn't take long to discuss it. There is no passage that talks about an event in which only the righteous are resurrected or when some are taken to heaven while others remain on earth. This is a subject for the sci-fi channel, not the history channel. A commonly cited passage along those lines is Matthew 24, 37 through 42, where Jesus talks about one being taken while another is left. But that passage is not specific about what happens, what it means to be taken. In fact, since Jesus is making that description parallel to the days of Noah, it is useful to notice that those who were taken in the days of Noah were wicked. Matthew 24, verse 39. In the days of Noah, being taken meant being caught up, unprepared for God's judgment. It did not mean that they were whisked away to heaven to avoid the trouble on earth. I think I think Aaron is right about that, uh, and and I would also argue there from Matthew chapter twenty four uh, that I really think that well we'll leave that we'll leave that for another discussion. But there's some question as to whether Jesus was talking about the end there or the or the destruction of Jerusalem there. I I, I happen to agree with Aaron on that point, but the. The idea of it is not in the New Testament. I think the passage that comes the closest to it is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, well, if I can get my Bible open to that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. There you go. Go ahead and read. Uh, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall ever be, or we shall always be with the Lord. So the passage says there that the, that there are going to be those who are ascend to be with Christ, but they're going to remain with him there forever. Yeah. Um, you know, the another part of this theory that is in error is the idea that there's going to be a separate resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. Uh, that the wicked won't be resurrected until the end of the of the millennial reign, but uh, that's not what Jesus said um, in John chapter five. John chapter five, verse twenty eight. Jesus said, "For the hour is coming in that in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of the damnation. All right, so that's going to occur simultaneously. In the same hour, Jesus said. So we don't have this idea of a rapture where the, the righteous are going to go, and then all the wicked are left behind. Yeah. It happens concurrently. Exactly. Okay. Uh, so uh, we just don't believe that the rapture is taught in the Scriptures. We don't believe the theory of premillennialism as is taught. Uh, in fact, in, in regard to try and pre- predict when all of this might happen, Jesus said that making such predictions is it, we're not we're not able to do that. In Matthew twenty four verse thirty six, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. First Thessalonians chapter five. In First Thessalonians chapter five, Paul said that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Notice that First Thessalonians five. 
But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you for yourselves. Know perfectly that the day of the Lord will, so cometh as a thief in the night. In Second Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Uh, I think we all understand the imagery there of a thief in the night. A thief in the night does not give an advance notice so that you can predict when he'll be there. If that was the case, you, you know, he'd never succeed in his endeavor. So he doesn't give warning. And Jesus said his coming would be like that without warning. Stephen uh, has sent us an email from uh, Rockmart, Georgia, and he disagrees with us on this. And interestingly, though, he says he studied the, the subject for the last 18 years and can tell you beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is true, the rapture. He also says it will occur within less than three years. Well, right there, Stephen is making a prediction that the scriptures say you can't make. And so I would have to respectfully disagree with Stephen. Stephen often listens to the verse of Bible study and participates, but it's clear from his email to us, Jacob, that he believes in the rapture and he believes in things. I don't know his total view on premillennialism, but he believes some aspects of it. He does mention, and I would agree with him, the Greek word in question is harpazo, found in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, which you just read a minute ago, mm-hmm. which was translated into caught up. The word means, according to Vines, to snatch or catch away, force suddenly, force suddenly exercised, forceful seizure. The use of the word up shows the direction in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And, you know, one of the things we point out from that text is there's no indication that the Lord ever will set foot on the earth again. The, the, the saints will be caught up to be with him in the clouds. There's no indication that he's ever going to, at that time or at any future time, come and set foot on the earth again. There's no indication of that in the scriptures. He says all of this is in conjunction with the first resurrection, whereby the saints will be removed from the wrath that Jesus alludes to in Luke 21, beginning verse 25, which is foretold in Daniel in the 70th week of his prophecy. Uh, Again, he's got a resurrection. He's got two separate resurrections, which I don't think the scriptures teach. And then he says, there are other foreshadowings of this event. Jesus said in Matthew 24, beginning verse 37, that his coming would be like the days of Noah (coughs) before the flood. Using this analogy, one finds one person or one body that was spared from the wrath of God who was not on the ark, Enoch, who walked with God. He suggests Enoch walking with God is a a foreshadowing of the rapture of the saints, but I, I don't see it. I don't see that connection. We have another Stephen in the chat room. He says, Enoch, Elijah, the transfiguration, <laughs> Jesus when he rose from the grave, Jesus when he ascended back to heaven, Paul, uh, who knew the man who was caught up to the third heaven, and John when he was called up, uh, a door to, in heaven opened. He, they, he says these are examples of raptures that have already happened, and there's one more to come. Um, um, I don't agree. I don't. Uh, th- those 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 episodes that he cited, not any one of them is referred to as a rapture. Um, but but hey, we're gonna we will be we will arise there to is meet a re- Jesus. There and is first a Thessalonians res- chapter. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians chapter four says that it will occur. We agree that that will occur. But is it in co- in conjunction with the fact that uh, that just the righteous are going to be raised at that time, and the, the wicked are left here on the earth? Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. The, prim- the theory of premillennialism has the righteous rapture, uh, the righteous resurrected over a thousand years before the wicked are resurrected. And Jesus said, "In the same hour, 
in John chapter five verse twenty eight they will be resurrected. So I, I, th- that's just that's just a sampling of the subject of premillennialism. We've had whole programs on that, so uh, I, we're going to have to let that be enough for tonight. Yeah, we're out of uh, time, but but we do. But uh, in answer to Brendan's question. Uh, about the rapture, and uh, I guess there's a program on the History Channel that's trying to promote that idea. We do not believe that it is taught in the Bible that 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 idea of the end uh, end times. That's the whole realm of eschatology that Stephen mentioned in his email to us. We don't believe that that is taught in the scriptures. All right, uh, we, we obviously by the interest in the in the subject, maybe we need to to resurrect that subject, if you will. Uh, but uh, Aaron in the chat room says uh, that one of the main points of Peter's sermon in Acts 2 was that Jesus was already reigning on David's throne. It wasn't uh, a chair. It was and is a position of rulership over God's people. And so that is a critical point, that Jesus doesn't need to come back on earth to assume the position on David's throne, he's on that throne now. That's exactly right. He's he's reigning already. He's not waiting to take up his reign. And I think that is exactly right. A good observation from Aaron. Uh, uh, Acts 2, verse 33, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. David is not ascended into the heavens but he saith himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thy foes thy footstool. All right. All right. Let's, so, uh, let's get a break. We'll again, cut we can talk. There. We're, we're going to cut that off there to get to this. I've, surely everybody is interested in bebop basing. We're going to go to that question next. Again, we can, we can, we have in the past, and we can again in the future talk more about premillennialism. But we'll let that be enough for tonight. Get to this question. I think everybody's itching to know more about bebop basing. Stephen in the chat room says Jesus is not reigning now. He says if Jesus is reigning now, why does he need to come back and snatch his people out of the world like a thief in the night? Well, you've that's got talking about the seri- final judgment. That's yeah. talking about final and judgment. You've got some serious issues there. If Jesus is not reigning now, lots of things you got to harmonize in the scripture. You can't do. Take a break. Get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of Bobby Duncan. Here's what he had to say. It is about the time of the annual prom. To some, this prom is considered the big event, not only of the senior year, but of the entire high school experience. However, the Bible plainly teaches that it's wrong to dance. The evidence which proves dancing wrong is overwhelming and irrefutable. The appeal of the dance is the same as the appeal of parking and petting. The ultimate end toward which they lead is the same. Those who have lived long enough to be parents know this to be true, even though their sons and daughters may not yet know it. But someone will say, these children are seniors only once in their lives. This statement is sometimes made to suggest that it's okay to sin, since this is the only opportunity these young people will ever have to commit this particular sin as high school seniors. One would be led to believe that he is allowing to pass a great opportunity that will never again present itself. The truth of the matter is that high school seniors do have an opportunity to do something they will never again have the opportunity to do. They will never again have such a great opportunity to demonstrate that loyalty to Christ is more important than anything else. Remember, you are a senior only once, and never again will you be able to show those who know you that even the senior prom cannot cause you to put yourself in a compromising position. If you choose to go to the prom, you will have passed by an opportunity to do the will of God that will never present itself again. You may have some similar opportunities, but not this one. You are a senior only once. 
So seniors, do not let the opportunity to show your strong convictions pass you by. If you take advantage of the opportunity to show where your priorities lie, you will never have reason to regret it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, and South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight, reminding you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And as we have alluded to many times tonight, you can find past programs from almost 10 years of the virtual Bible study on that website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And you can find out ways to contact us, or you can just use the email address, questions at collegeview.com. Have any questions answered about what we believe or what we practice, or to suggest topics for future editions of the virtual Bible study? And well, we might have one here on the rapture. The, the yeah, that, and we might, yeah, future. we can we can potentially address that more thoroughly in the yeah. future. We have in the past. We've had whole episodes on premillennialism. We can do it again. All right. Next uh, question. Now here's the, the one that I'm question. Yeah, and and uh, you you talk about a rapid response by the virtual Bible study. I just got this email yesterday, but it was so intriguing to me, I thought we had to include it in the in the program tonight. And there was some urgency attached to this because the the, the listener is torn as to what it, what to do on yeah. this on this, this question. This is this is from KB and KB is in Mississippi. He says, "I grew up in a church of Christ." I'm going to read the whole thing. You, you know, a lot of times on these questions, I try to kind of condense them. I couldn't, couldn't con- I couldn't that, condense. You got to get all this. You, do. you got to get it. Lots of good, yeah, good yeah. information. Here. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. He says, "I grew up in a church of Christ that did the bebop bass, but it was outside of worship." I, well, when I read that, I thought, "What?" What is bebop bass? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, can, can you going to tell us what that is? Well, I emailed him back and said, "I think I know what you mean by bebop basing." But I gotta be sure. I said, is it when you, is it when people make sounds with their mouth to imitate instruments, like percussion sounds and stuff? And he wrote back, yeah, that's it. That's exactly what I'm talking okay. about. So what this is, is Although, there's you know, no... Bobby ins- McFerrin stuff, right? Well, Don't worry, be happy kind of stuff? Maybe, maybe a little. Yeah. But, but, I mean, there are there are groups that do this and do it. I mean, the sounds they make are amazing. You would think that they're being accompanied by a number of instrumental but but uh, there's a group. I know there was a group that was uh, well known several years ago called acapella, yeah. and and uh, acapella did performances. And you would think they were being accompanied by instruments, but they weren't. It was all being done with their mouth. Okay, Anthony and so, says it's commonly called beatboxing. Beatboxing. Okay, and he says some of it's very impressive. It is. Uh, it, Jeff, you know. Yeah, Jeff is. Uh, it is okay. Jeff knows. Okay. Okay. So, uh, and I'm not going to get into. I could do. I could do a little of that. Oh, will you break some off? No, no, I'm not going to. Uh, so he says. Okay. Now back to the email. I grew up okay. in a church that did the bebop bass, but it was outside of worship. I moved on and went to college, and my job has allowed me to attend other churches of Christ. Some did the bebop in Sunday song service. Right now, I attend a church of Christ that doesn't do it during Sunday service, but they do it during gospel meetings, and when invited and in. And they are invited to other churches that do it. We recently formed a singing group as a ministry. I'm the main bass singer for the group. I did the bebop last year for our gospel meeting, but uh, have decided through scriptures I need to stop. I refuse to do. I refuse to do it in this year's gospel meeting. However, I agreed to sing the bass part of our songs. Our preacher said it was an option, and he didn't feel like it was wrong. Me personally, I don't feel comfortable about it. I'm not a scholar on the different meaning of the word sing, 
But to me, sing means sing and not to bebop. We decided to stop singing in the group. I decided to stop singing in the group. All the members felt like the group needed the bebop bass. Their uh, their reason was that it fills the empty spots. It keeps the, keeps helps keep them with the timing, and it sounds good. Plus, they said it's, there's nothing wrong with doing it. I am the main song leader in the service and will not allow it in the song service when I lead songs. I, th- I know this is a lot, and you may have to de- uh, you may have dealt with the issue before. No, we have not. I I came up with some questions I'd like for you to answer. I enjoy your show. It's been very helpful. Please help me and others on this topic. So here's his questions. What do the scriptures say about bebop basing? Can it be defined as singing? Is it right, wrong, or a personal preference? Should it be done only outside of church service, such as gospel meeting, or can it be done during service and gospel meeting? Where did it originate? Was it part of the New Testament church? It gives thoughts on a church member that doesn't think it's scriptural, but still attends a church that does it. Give thoughts on a church member that believes it's okay, but attends a church that doesn't believe it's scriptural. Give thoughts on a church member that doesn't agree with doing it, but he or she is a part of a singing group that does do it. If bebop is or isn't singing, what is humming when a song leader is leading the song? Lots of questions. Lots of questions. All right. Thank you, KB, for that uh, good email. First thing, I would answer, should you be doing it? You already told us the answer when you said, I don't feel comfortable with it. If If you're torn about it, you definitely need to stop and stop right now. Romans chapter 14, verse 23 says, whatever is not from faith is sin. So if it's violating your conscience, stop it. Immediately. Immediately. Yeah, I mean, and so you, you know. And I think it, he has, and so he's done the right thing there. Yeah, and he says he has, yep. and he's done the right thing. Yep. Um, so where are we going to start? I, I'm going to start with the instruction about singing in worship. In Ephesians 5, verse 19 Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then the parallel statement in Colossians chapter 3 at verse 17. Mm-hmm. Colossians 3.17 says, whatsoever you, excuse me, 3.16, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Two key words. Colossians says that we are teaching and admonishing one another. Uh, Ephesians 5.19 says we're speaking to one another. Yes. Well, to teach and admonish or to speak requires words, not sounds. Yeah. You know, you could have the most beautiful instrumental sounds or you could have the most beautiful sounds imitating instruments made with the mouth. Yeah. But if there are no words then no message is conveyed. Yeah. You can't do any teaching. I mean, I might enjoy listening to it, but I haven't learned any. I haven't been taught. I haven't been admonished. I haven't been spoken to. Right. Uh, and so at a very simple level, I would say it is not authorized because it, it does not accomplish what music and worship is supposed to accomplish. Yeah, we don't uh, we don't uh, oppose instruments in worship because they're explicitly condemned. We oppose them because they're not expressly uh, authorized. authorized. Same for this. Yeah, but just to clarify your point, it doesn't. The scripture doesn't say thou shalt not have instruments, right? It's, but it does tell us what to do. It says to sing, and so right. we do that, right? And it doesn't say you should beatbox or you shouldn't, but it says to sing, and so that's the authority that we have. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Okay. All right. Uh, so that that's going to be my main thing. Uh, it, it's not singing, and yes. singing is what's authorized. 
And and only through singing with words are we able to teach and admonish and speak to one another, and that's what's what we're supposed to accomplish in singing with in our worship. All right. So first question: What do do the scriptures say about bebop basing? They don't say anything about it, but the silence is not permissive. The silence is prohibitive. We've been given explicit authority on what we should do, and so because the scriptures are unsilent on it, means that we don't have authority when we've explicitly been told that we need to be singing. Yeah. All right. Can it be defined as singing? No. It's not singing. It's definitely not singing. No. Uh, it's, uh, well, it's not singing. I mean, look up a dictionary definition of singing. Singing is not making unintelligible sounds. Singing is con- is singing words, putting yeah. words to melody. Okay. All right. Is it right, wrong, or personal preference? Well, it's more than just personal preference. It's a matter of do we have authority for it, yeah. and we don't. Yeah. Okay. Can it be done outside church service as in a gospel meeting, or can it be done during service and a gospel meeting? I don't see the distinction between a, a service and a gospel meeting. I, I mean, if, if we're worshiping God, uh, then it ought to be done the way God said. If, if, if what we're doing is intended to bring glory and honor to God, which is what worship is about, well, we're doing that in a gospel meeting, too. We're not just taking his name frivolously. We're not just, we're not just being irreverent. So if we're going to be honoring God the way he wants to be honored in our assemblies, whether it be a Sunday morning assembly or a gospel meeting assembly on a weeknight if we're if what we're doing is to honor and glorify god then we ought to do it the way he said and he said sing all right the next question you are totally unqualified to answer where did it originate you didn't even I, know I, it existed i didn't even know what it was yeah, so you can't no, answer i can't answer that but I, right. I i i he goes on to say was it a part of the new testament church I think I can answer that definitely. No, there's simply no reference to anything like that in the New Testament. Jeff is raising his hand. I think yeah, he knows. Yeah, Where Jeff, did yeah. it originate, Jeff? Well, it's not so much that as uh, when we have done some of this history stuff. It seems like when they first, when when music was done in the early church, it was more like a chant where they would repeat stuff back. Uh, that seems to be what. Historians well, there was believe. some of that. Well, there was some of that in Old Testament times. There was some some responsive readings of the Psalms and so forth. I don't know that we can establish that it was that way in the early church. There was some of that among the Jews. But I don't really don't think that's what this is. This 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 is the idea of, you know, making the sound of an instrument with your voice. Uh, and I don't I don't know any history on that related to religion. Okay. All right. Um uh Thomas in the chat room says, if you add music, musical instruments, it's not in faith. That's right. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So if it's not done by faith, Romans 14 tells us, then it's sin. Well, you only get faith by reading about it in the Bible. So uh, we can conclude it's, it's sinful. All right. Good point, Thomas. Thank you. Okay. Now, there's another part of this. He says, what about uh, attending a church? You don't agree with it, but they do it. Well, I, I think that that would be a, 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 a sort of a deal breaker. I can't attend and participate in a service that is actually requiring me to participate in something that I don't think is authorized. Yeah. So if, if the, if the church began to, to practice an unauthorized thing, I think I'd have to leave that church. I, I couldn't participate in that and therefore I'd, i couldn't be a, a con- continue it's a, there it's a little bit different because it's part of the corporate worship now if there was somebody in the church who thought it was okay but the church didn't do that well it doesn't cause me to do anything sinful yeah if we, if we got a brother and he has come from a background of doing that and he doesn't have a, a he maybe he's weak hasn't studied it doesn't know but he right now doesn't have an issue with it 
but he's he we're not doing it here he and he comes you know well we'll try and teach him we'll work with him i mean that's that doesn't cause I'm us not, to, I'm not, it's not changing the way i worship right okay uh but there's one other thing here that i think has to be commented upon and that is singing groups as a ministry yeah you know that that is in the realm of what we call special music special music involves soloists uh it involves quartets it involves choirs wherein certain individuals are performing and others are listening in other words you got your choir up here singing and the, and and the rest of the of the congregants are sitting in their seats listening or you got a soloist up there singing and everybody else is just listening you know what the problem with that is? Those verses that we cited earlier talk about reciprocal action, teaching and admonishing one another, Colossians 3.16, teaching and admonishing one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. So, Jacob, if you're up front singing a solo and I'm back here listening, you might be teaching me, but I'm not teaching you. It's not reciprocal. Yeah. And the scriptures teach uh, that it ought to be reciprocal. I should be teaching you. You should be teaching me in the singing of these songs. So I think that special music, solos, quartets, choirs, I think that sort of thing is not authorized from the scriptures either. All right. And so in, in some of his email, I'm talking about the, the, the singing ministry, how it sounded good and all that, it, it sort of leads one to think that maybe this singing group is more for entertainment and for the pleasure of those listening rather than uh, for worshiping God and, and doing the congregational singing that we're instructed to do there in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 19. So anyhow, all right. All right. So um, that would be our answers to KB. And KB, we appreciate your diligence and your concern to do the right thing. And, and uh, we appreciate the question. And you've brought a subject to light that we have never discussed before on the virtual Bible study. Yes, thank you, KB. And uh, and we got about... Looks like we've got we just got about slightly over minutes. slightly over ten minutes left. We're gonna we're gonna take one more break and come back, and we're gonna talk about a question from Lucas Lucas about women's roles in worship. Can women serve the Lord's at the Lord's table? Interesting. We might have some differing views on that. Let's hear your thoughts. Can women pass the trays on Sunday morning at the Lord's supper? What do you think about that? Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in a study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Two weeks before the 2014 Super Bowl, half of American sports fans said they believed God or a supernatural force had a hand in the games they watched. Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson apparently agrees with this sentiment as well. In an interview, he claimed that God made him throw four interceptions in this year's NFC Championship game so that the results would be more exciting. Wilson said, quote, that's God setting it up to make it so dramatic, so rewarding, so special. 
That information is via crosswalk.com. The Word of God says in Isaiah 55, beginning verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians three seventeen. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program, going, well, it's not the top of the hour anymore. We're late, but we're going to the end of the hour. We're going to run an hour, but we got started late, so we're going to go a little late. We're going to try to get out of here by a quarter after, if you all are in the chat room. Uh, listening online, hang with us just about another 10 minutes and we're going to let you go for tonight. But we're so, we're sorry for the, our delay in getting started. We have one more question. I think we had some really unique questions from our listeners tonight, Jacob. This one comes from Lucas and he simply asked, uh, are the laws governing the worship service for women violated when women serve at the Lord's table? And then he provided me a much longer article by a fellow named Al Maxey. I know of this Al yeah, Maxey. I know yeah. of him. I don't know him. But he takes some very loose views yeah. uh, toward the Scripture. And so um, Al Maxey has written this article and basically using this argument to try and open the door to greater roles for women uh, in the worship services. Um so he's, you know, he. Well, I don't, I don't really have a a good. Uh, um, you don't have a good sound bite. From I don't him? have a good sound bite from him. Uh, he says uh, an area of fanatical foolishness involves man's effort to legislate and regulate who may or may not serve at the Lord's table. Um. Uh. He says more and more congregations are now realizing after much study of God's word that we have gone, we have for far too long suppressed the service of our sisters in Christ. And these congregations are making changes to correct this, uh, taking steps to be far more gender inclusive, mm-hmm. uh, including their women in areas of service that were previously prohibited. And, and then he goes on to say, thus women are saying prayers before the assembled saints. They are leading singing. They are becoming preaching interns. And he applauds Patrick Mead in Tennessee, the fellow that we, that we, uh, referenced about that woman preacher in, uh, Franklin, Tennessee in, uh, a few weeks ago in our virtual Bible study. They're teaching classes in which men are present. They are leading small groups. They are serving at the Lord's table, just to name a few. Right. In my view, Maxie says this is way overdue. Well, I guess, Mr. Maxine, you ought to read his Bible around 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, where Paul says, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor you serve authority over the man, but to be in silence. You know, I don't. How do you harmonize those actions that he's applauding with Paul's instruction there? Yeah. Know, it's not our, it's not our, think so's or our preferences, is what Paul said. Now, uh, you know, here's the point. He's saying, you know, that here I am sitting at the end of the pew. Or maybe I'm sitting down a ways, and the and the tray is starts down there at the end of the pew, and it's being as as each one is taking a a, a bit of the uh, bread or uh, taking the, the a sip of the grape juice. Well, wait a minute. The first guy down there on the end of the pew that was a guy, but his wife was sitting next to him. He handed it to her, and then she handed it to me. Yeah, and so. He says, we basically got the women passing the emblems of the Lord's Supper already in that fashion. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't think that's the same thing. I think that's trying to draw a conclusion that's not warranted. I I, I was reading Aaron's email to us, and I thought he really nailed it on this. He says, if a woman addresses the assembly or leads public prayer, then I believe she is not observing the pattern for women in the assembly. This is a harder question if she is simply passing trays. When a woman sitting next to me in the pew hands me a tray, I do not conclude that she has taken on a leadership role, and that doesn't change much if she happens to be standing up. If my wife stands and walks to bring me something in our house, I do not conclude that she has taken a leadership role over me. However, it does mean something for us to choose someone to stand prominently in the front of the assembly and serve. Uh, And then he gives an example. For example, though I might cringe if a visitor walked in wearing a T-shirt advertising beer, I still would welcome him in, but I would not under any circumstances ask such a one to stand in front of the assembly in any role other than perhaps confessing and making public repentance. So it does mean something for people to participate in this particular manner. But it sounds like I need to think more fully about it, how to formulate a coherent argument. I think his argument is very coherent in that. In other words, we do recognize that there is some significance attached to those men who stand up front, who may not say anything, but who who take the elements of the Lord's Supper and then distribute it to the congregation. In a way, they're they are leading in that effort. They're making they they have a they have they have a role that's more than. In other words, uh, would you let a non Christian? Yeah. Do that? Oh no, I don't think so. Well, well, then, then there is something special about that role. Or like Aaron says, uh, one of our weak Christians comes in, and we're we're all flabbergasted. He's got on a shirt that advertises beer. We're shocked by that. Uh, we're going to talk to him about that. Yeah. By the way, yeah. we're sure not going to let him stand up front and represent the congregation. Yeah. While wearing his beer T-shirt. Yeah. Or how about, how about this? Uh, we get a guy who gets up there. He he gets the tray and he moonwalks off the podium to the first row. We say, wait a minute, you're not setting the right tone here for what we're doing. Yeah. You're not leading us in the right way. So even the guys who are who are up there carrying the emblems are they do in some way are leading the kind. There, it's it's minor, but it right. is it is a a a role that has a. A significance attached to it, and and therefore I'm with Aaron that it, it that there's something there's something there, and therefore we should be careful about be it. Be careful about it. And here's what Thomas says. Thomas says women could serve, that meaning to pass the Lord's supper, but many would think bad about it. It's not a role where they are over men. It really shows that they are under if they are serving. In our society, we should allow men to do it. Yeah, Monty in his email said simply, if there are no men present, the women could serve. But if men are present, the men should accept their responsibility and lead the worship. And, and it, it is, again, he's saying that there's some leadership involved, even though yeah, it is a, yeah. a serving role. Aaron went on to say, I've known of congregations that used young boys not yet baptized to dis- help distribute the trays. I don't think they should be leading either. But clearly that congregation did not consider this role to be leading or exercising any sort of authority. So maybe that's something else that needs to be thought about. I would agree with Aaron. I I don't think that that's appropriate. In in other words, uh, what if you, what if we uh, a, what if an atheist came into our assembly? Uh, they're, they're certainly welcome in our assembly. We recently had one that visited with us. We were, we were overjoyed to see him. We know him and, and have studied with him. Yeah. And he came to our assembly. Yeah. We're glad. Well, can... But we're not going to put him up there. No, because we understand that that's something that uh, represents. A position that we hold in regards to what we're doing, 
He doesn't share that faith with us at this moment. We hope that he would in the future, but he doesn't right now. So it wouldn't even be appropriate. I don't think he would accept that assignment. But it, even if he wanted that assignment, it wouldn't be appropriate to put him in that role because that role represents something. And so I, I just think that it, it, it should be avoided. By the way, in Al Maxey's comments there, did you get the idea this is how you get your foot in the door? This is how the camel gets his nose in the tent. Yeah. You know, you get you get started by letting women pass the 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 elements of the Lord's Supper, but then uh you're not too far away by from being totally gender inclusive as he says, and you have them saying prayers before the congregation, leading singing, even becoming preaching in turns. And so, you know, one of the questions we always have to ask where, what's our what's the intention here? What's the agenda? Where what does this lead to? And I think it's very clear that those who want to put women in that position are really trying to to lower the bar and make it possible for them to do other things. This is not about keeping women in their place. It's not about women being inferior to men. It's just about the instructions we have for the different roles that God has given men and women. And they're God-given roles, and we need to respect those and honor them. Yeah, so. I think that's it. All right. All right, I think we're I think we're out of time, Jake. I've lost track of time tonight. We've been uh, we've been all messed up in time, but I think I think we are out of time. I think we are too, and our listeners want us to quit. If even if we're not, it's getting into their <laughs> bedtime here. So, well, thank you for the good discussion tonight, Jeff. Thanks for being here and helping us uh, get on the air. We're glad that you. Yeah. Were here. Apologies again for a late start tonight. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Jacob. All right, we appreciate you joining us. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible and live by it every day, you'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.